This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Elliot, let's get right to our next guest, former Montreal Expo, Boston Red Sox general manager, Dan Duquette. How you doing, Dan? Hey, I'm good, guys. How are you guys? It's Great. been a busy couple of days here in Chicago with this Theo Epstein news, even though they can't announce it until they figure out what we're giving to Boston for him, which prospects or suspects. Or how many bags of balls or whatever it is. Yeah, I heard you guys have to take John Lackey. <laughs> oh, only if the Red Sox take Carlos Zambrano. <laughs> well, I think the Red Sox probably make that deal. <laughs> what do you think about Theo Epstein coming here to Chicago? you think it's the right move on the Cubs part? Well, you know, I, I can't speak for the club. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Theo's uh, did a good job here in Boston, and I think that the uh, the challenge of him building an organization from the ground up is very attractive. Uh, plus, you know, I mean, he was part of the, uh, the crew that, uh, you know, beat the curse of the Bambino, if he ever beat the Bambino and the Billy Goat curse, you know, he'd go right to the Hall of Fame, so... I, I think that's the attractive part. I think it's the, I think it's the Jack McKeon curse. We had McKeon on last week. McKeon was GM of the Padres in '84 when they beat the Cubs, and he was manager of the Marlins in '03. And those are the Cubs' best chances. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, I don't know about that, but um, you know, Wrigley Field's a great place, and I know, uh, you know, Tom Ricketts wants to have a perennial contending team like we built in Boston. For Cubs fans, and uh, you know, ultimately win a World Series championship. So, I know that uh, you know the, the uh, Cubs ownership, the new Cubs ownership group, spent a lot of time with the Red Sox. How key looking is at, look, look, looking at the things that the Red Sox did to uh, be successful? So, you know, now they have their uh, general manager. And part of Theo's legacy is the increased revenue streams that uh, that the Red Sox have enjoyed. That helps well, with the, I, that helps well, with the I, payroll, I, but then you have to pick the right players. Well, I, I think that um, the uh, you know increased revenue streams that you know that that uh, that was really under uh, Larry Lucchino's uh, job description. I'm not sure that was under Theo's okay. job description. Okay, so we credit Theo with being in the right place at the right time. Well, or, Theo did a good Theo did a good job in Boston. But people uh, forget that you built up that first World Series team because you were there for, what, eight years. You built up the farm system and brought those players in, like the Pedros and stuff, and Theo basically rode your coattails, I'd say, for that first World Series. Well, you know, I appreciate you saying that. We, we had a, uh, a good farm system that I spent a lot of time uh, building up, uh, and we had to rebuild our scouting system because most of our scouts were about 70 years old when I got there um, in uh, 1994, but... You know the the thing is it 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 it, uh, it does take a little time to build up a farm system, and I told the fans in Boston when I got there it was going to take seven or eight years so that we could have a perennial contending team. And uh, when I left in '02, I mean that was a club that uh, won 92 games, and uh, that's the club that Theo inherited. Plus we had a plus we had a good farm system, and he was able to leverage that farm system to you know trade. Uh, uh, acquire, he acquired uh, Schilling. That was a big deal uh, for uh, Jorge De La Rosa, left-handed pitcher we signed from uh, Mexico, and Casey Fossum, a kid we took in the draft. I mean, so um, you know, I, I, I'm 
I'm happy that uh, you know the Red Sox won the World Series, but you know these things take a little time. They don't happen overnight. Yeah, I mean, if somebody came up to you today and said, "We want you to be the general manager and turn this franchise around in 162 games," that's not possible, is it? Well, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, say, I'm not saying it's impossible because I turned around a team in Montreal that uh, won 72 games in the following year. Uh, we won uh, 89. The next year, we won. 93. Uh, so it can be done. And, you know, the, the team I inherited in Boston, they had three losing seasons and we won the division in 95. So they can be turned around because I've turned around two of them. Uh, but if you want to have a perennial contending team, if you want to be in the first division and have a good team that can, you know, compete to be in the playoffs every year, I mean, that takes a little bit more time because you got to build up significant inventory in your farm system. And, uh, you know, you, you, you gotta know what you're doing. You learned under one of the best there with the Brewers and Harry Dalton with, uh, what Harvey's Wallbangers there in the early 80s and they <laughs> built with the farm system. Well, we, we, I used to go to a restaurant called Ray Jackson's on Blue Mound Road in, uh, in Milwaukee. And every time we'd walk in there for lunch, Ray Jackson would say, the stars of tomorrow are in the Brewers farm system. But, uh, you know, I, I did. I learned, uh, you know, the key to having a good team year in and year out, uh, I learned from Harry Dalton, was in the farm system. And, of course, Harry uh, was part of those great Oriole teams that had the four 20-game winners. And, uh, you know, Harry built up a good farm system. We won that Baseball America Award a few times with the Brewers. But, um, you know, I mean, that's the key to having a good team year in and year out. I mean, all the teams that excel by having a good player development operation, you know, they, they have good players and, you know, steady Steady stream of players coming to the big league. So and that, and that's a challenge that, you know, Theo has there in Chicago. What do you think of the money ball approach to uh, big league baseball? Uh, well, I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed the movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the movie was funny. And I thought uh, Brad Pitt did a great job. Um, you know, Billy Bean's having a great year because Brad Pitt played him, right? <laughs> But, <laughs> but Bean hasn't done anything. I mean, he had those teams in the early 2000s. He has not won a World Series, even gotten there. Well, I, I can, I can, uh, you know, I can understand that. But, but, uh, Moneyball, uh, I, you know, the, 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 the movie didn't really tell the story of the, of the strength of those Oakland A teams because the strength of those Oakland A teams was in the starting pitching, which they had. They had Tim Hudson. They had Barry Zito and they had Mark Mulder, and they were all college pitchers that came through their farm system, and they were the strength of the team. And then they had, uh, you know, a good and productive operation in, in the Dominican, and uh, Tejada was probably the showpiece from that program. Uh, but, you know, that, to me, that was the heart of those teams. You know, on base percentage, uh, I learned the value of on base percentage from Earl Weaver. Because um, Earl Weaver was espousing on base percentage a long, long time ago. And his point was, you know, you can't score runs until you get guys on base. And, you know, that's the primary component of starting your offensive production. That's to get on base. So these things, these things aren't, aren't new. Um, they got a lot of, uh, play and publicity when Michael Lewis followed around Billy Bean. But, you know, you know, teams have been using you know, different uh, metrics to measure performance. And, of course, it's grown. 
uh, and you know now it's coming to the mainstream with the uh, with Moneyball. But you know, I mean, there were metrics that we applied to the '94 Expos, which was the best team in baseball with the lowest payroll. Uh, but we also applied scouting standards too. So you know, I think it takes a combination. And you know, I wouldn't get uh, I wouldn't get carried away with uh, one or the other. Uh, I would say that you got to have something you can depend on if you're going to build a good major league team year in year out. You got to have you got to have metrics, you know, to measure performance and the technology that we have now. I mean, makes it a little bit easier to hang your hat on some of these metrics and you know make some good personnel decisions. Yeah, Earl Weaver played for the three run homer. It's tough to get those three run homers unless you have people on base. So you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I, I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. Earl, Earl grew up as a clubhouse guy in St. Louis. His father um, washed the uniforms. So, uh, you know, Earl knew the value of, uh, and, you know, of uh, offensive production, and he also knew how to play the odds. So, you know, it's a little bit more sophisticated now because they've been measuring things for the past uh, 30 years. I mean, I started reading Bill James back in uh, – 1981, when I was with the Brewers, uh, Dan Okrad, who wrote a book on the Brewers, did a uh, introductory story of Bill James and Sports Illustrated, and then Dan followed around. I think it was the 82 Brewers, and uh, you know I, I was introduced to Bill James then. But a lot of uh, you know Bill's philosophies have have. Uh, you know, have been have been proven, and you know he, he's tried a number of things, and you know the uh, the study and the passion that he has. You know, it's, it's mainstream now. They keep saying you need Harvard Yale guys in baseball to be successful. I'll tell you what, you were pretty successful as an Amherst guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you saying that. There's a couple other uh, a couple other Amherst guys. Uh, Neil Huntington's the GM in Pittsburgh, and uh, I got familiar with Neil in Montreal and. You're talking about Ben Charrington, who's another Amherst kid that I hired with the Red Sox replacing Theo here in Boston. And, you know, thankfully Harry Dalton gave me an opportunity out of Amherst, uh, and, uh, you know, I was able to give these guys a shot. You don't want the Boston job? Well, I, I think Ben Charrington's going to get that Boston job. Why don't and you have a job? Uh, why are you, who have built up two teams, the Expos and Red Sox, not the GM or president of a team right now? Well, I mean, I, I wish I had the answer to that, but I don't. Um, you know, I've been running my sports academy in the Berkshires for a couple of years, and uh, you know, I haven't really been able to find the, the right opportunity. The desire still there to get back to the big leagues? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time in the big leagues. I particularly, uh, you know, love the Red Sox, um, and I was so happy that the Red Sox finally got to uh, win the World Series. I mean. Four generations of my family followed them, and uh, I was glad they finally did it. I'll tell you what, there's three to four million reasons a year here in Chicago to want to be the GM here. I mean, when I heard what he got, three to four million dollars a year over five years, I'm like, for a GM, this is incredible. Well, I mean, Theo got a great contract, and, uh, you know, good for him. Is it is this going to raise the prices of other GMs now? Well, usually all boats rise with the tide. Um, I think that uh, Ryan Cashman was making in the area of $3 million. 
So uh, Theo's deal um, should uh, you know help some other guys. But then I'm sure the the Pittsburghs of the world, or even the Milwaukee's, will say, "Hey, we're a small market. Those are big market teams. If they want to pay that for a general manager, you know, more power to them." Just the way they do uh, similarly with players and payroll. Well, that that, that may be true, and uh, the um, you know the incremental revenue that you can create in these uh, you know major markets, I think, justifies the. GMs in the major markets make a little bit more money because if you do invest the fans' money properly in your player development operation and in your major league players, you know you should be able to have a have a good product, and you know that should uh, make it interesting to fans and should be able to generate some additional revenue. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Jacob. It was a pleasure talking to you, getting your knowledge on the sport. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Good uh, luck there. Thank you. you. Too. That was former Expo and Red Sox GM Dan Duquette. I mean, he, he hit it. He wouldn't have been a bad guy for the Cubs to hire. I was promoting him for the Cubs job, and I would text him every so often, you know what, I hope hey, you get the Cubs job. Tom Ricketts didn't listen to you this time? No. He I'm had, shocked. He had one guy in his mind, and he got that guy done. Thank God, because if he didn't, he wouldn't want this B plan, and that would have been a disaster. Again, thanks for listening today. I want to thank our guests, Jennifer England, Ken Houston, and Dan Duquette. I'm David Spade with Elliott Harris. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned next week for another great show.